There we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Way of the Truth Warrior. Today, we've already hit August. We've come this far. August 1st, 2022. Welcome, welcome, friends. This is going to be a fun one today. I'm almost out of breath trying to prep this and get everything sent and set up and created so that I can do this little show for you today. I hope it adds some value. Um, I've been scoping out what's going on in the media, especially here in Canada, and it's getting rather freaky. So in some ways, that's a good sign, and I'll get into that. But before we get into everything, how's everybody doing? Let me know where you're watching from. Good to see you all. Letting people jump in here before I start this off. Just checking on all my streams. Everything's looking pretty good. Oh my goodness. It's the last month before fall. So August, I think, is going to be an interesting month all around for all these things that are all these intersecting timelines and all of these storylines. Oh, I got to mute that. Fringe Weller on Foxhole saying it's BC Day in Canada. Is it BC Day? Is it BC Day? Well, happy BC Day if that's the case. It's the province I reside in. Um, well, breaking the chains of slavery, getting into the past, comparing it to the present, casting our minds into possible futures. I got a big task ahead of me today. Some of this might be controversial for some people, but investigating the truths of very complex issues is always controversial. And we just have to become aware of that and make peace with it. It's the way it goes. If you want to get to the truth, you got to hack through all the, all the lies and that takes time. And there are many, many, many lies. Uh, how's everybody on D live? Good to see you. Someone's from Georgia. Nice. Europe coming in, Argentina, US, Canada, people popping in from all over. Welcome, welcome. Well, I don't know if you've been, well, I know you guys all follow the media. I, a lot of stuff I get, you guys send me. So thanks for that. Thanks for being in touch. Sorry if I can't get back to everybody, but I came across this article. I don't know if somebody retweeted it. Oh, well, I know who actually. I'll tell you the story as it's coming in. My brain is a little flustered because I've just had to ram this together. So bear with me, guys. We'll get through it. Um, I was on Twitter yesterday and I saw CTV News, which is one of Canada's prestigious media journalism empires that always reports the facts and always tells you the truth and has no ulterior agendas whatsoever and would never create division through misinformation by sharing misinformation. They would never do that. Well, they're all owned by the same people. And uh, clearly the media is broken. It's been broken for some time. But they put up this article that this, in a combination of a few other things, inspired this show. So thanks, guys. You do make my work a lot easier, you know, just so you know. So here's the talking points going around Canada right now. And I started to notice this is also being resurrected. It's been going on and off this entire time in the background. But this is interesting to me in a Canadian context. 
But let's just kind of go through a few little points. I won't torture you with the entire article. You can go read it yourself, make up your own mind, of course. But uh, this is bringing up all the slavery, racism, apologies, because, of course, we had the Pope. Remember the Pope came in the Pope mobile, and then Trudeau the dope went and met the Pope. He put on his best Pope socks, and then the Pope read a fake apology, and then Trudeau went, yay. And then everybody in Canada went, there we go. See, it's all better now. The Pope apologized for all of the horrible atrocities that were committed against First Nations peoples. Um, and if you think they're going to now just let that go, uh, you got something else coming to you because we all know this is about fomenting further division in society so that they can fracture us in every way possible to plunder our land resources and wealth and uh, bring us into the global technocracy. But this is interesting to continually push this without proper historical context is just incredible. And to see it in Canada, I, it's unbelievable. Well, it's believable, but it's crazy. They're throwing all the talking points at us all at once. Uh, so here it is. Here's the title, a specific form. So a specific form. Okay. There's a specific form of anti-black racism and, and this is in Canada, apparently. Okay. So in Canada, there's a very specific form that they're honing in on now of anti-black racism because beating everybody over the head who had nothing to do with crimes against first nations peoples every day, isn't really working the well, the way they wanted to their support, you know, and they think they kind of have to move on now to something else. And so they're going into a specific form of anti-black racism. So scholars, apparently, the uh, prestigious scholars in our universities, of which many estimates have been given, are 80-plus percent are openly Marxists, openly globalists. Um, they want Canada to apologize for slavery on Emancipation Day. <laughs> so that's interesting to me. Right? Why has Canada got to apologize for black slavery? Um, of course, they're going to go into institutional benefit. This is all about the uh, attack against Europeans, Western civilization in general. And it's actually attack against black people in Canada and around the world. This whole thing, this is what we need to realize. And by the way, we're going to, I've learned this from people from within the black community, scholars who are well on to this old game of how people actually profit off of these types of narratives, don't you know? So we'll get to that. But they're saying more than a year after Canada proclaimed August 1st as Emancipation Day, black leaders and scholars are renewing their calls for Ottawa. So Trudeau and Ottawa. So Ottawa has to apologize to make a formal apology for the country's history of slavery and it's intergenerational harms. So there's like an apology trend. And, you know, if if it would just down to an apology, I mean, that would be incredible, wouldn't it? If people could be resurrected from the grave throughout all times in history from all over the world to apologize for crimes that have been done against their fellow man. Uh, I guess everybody would, their feelings would be better. I don't know. They're trying to make it look like we've got intergenerational harms, institutionalized racism, um, black people don't have equal opportunity in America. Black people don't have equal opportunity in Canada. I speak to my friends from Europe. They're telling me that they're getting beaten over the head with the same thing. Meanwhile, they're sitting next to people of all different races and colors and genders 
and sexual orientations that are in all different stratas, up, down, middle, higher, lower, income brackets, opportunities. And so the evidence of our situation doesn't always bear this out. And that's not to say racism doesn't exist. That's ridiculous. But it's not even near the level that the media likes to blow it up because we know that they have a totally different itinerary of what they are trying to achieve. Whether the journalists or these people know it or not, there's a major movement here to literally just attack Western civilization, the concept of freedom, the concept of individual sovereignty, and also individual personal responsibility. Uh, they don't want that to be the discussion. They want to bring it into these big echo chamber, big causes, and make you think emotively, and then conflate history, conflate events, conflate these situations, not give you all the data, and lie to you so that you can be divided against your neighbor, whether they're black, white, brown, yellow, doesn't matter. They want us divided against each other. And, um, you know, so I, I'm not even, what's it saying? Here's a quote. Let me just do the quote. An apology would mean recognition of the fact that we were enslaved in this country, Harding Davis said in an interview. So she's one of the activists representing this cause. It would also be an amelioration of the harsh treatment black people have received and the validation that we have honestly contributed not only to this country, but to the making of this country. And they're talking about Canada here, guys, okay? Which is just interesting to me. So this continues. Emancipation Day recognizes the day in 1834 that the Slavery Abolition Act came into force, thus ending slavery in most British colonies, including Canada, and freeing over 800,000 people. Yeah, this is the first and only country in the world or let's just say this, it was British, Britain's first, and then America, first and only civilization to ever fight a long, bloody, grueling war to actually end slavery. And yet, these people come here, just like, let me come back to you, just like how Greta Thunberg and Leonardo DiCaprio and all the other climate cultists don't ever go to places like India or China to put the message out, right? They got to get in their jumbo jets and they don't go over there to, to go lecture them about mass pollution, air pollution, water, po ocean pollution, all these different things of which, sorry to say, those areas of the world are notorious for. They want to come to places like Canada and lecture us about carbon emissions and how we have to... Canada could literally be wiped off the face of the earth at this point, and you wouldn't see the meter move an inch in terms of the way they measure CO2 and all that kind of stuff. But they want to come and lecture you about, you shouldn't have private ownership of your vehicles. Everybody should be driving electric cars, which with big power outage problems and you know, mining cobalt, which also is a horrible thing. These kids are digging this stuff out in third world countries. There's a whole story there. It's just, there's contradictions everywhere. And that's when you start to say, well, then what's this really about? Is it, is about make creating a guilt complex in the public. That's what all of this is about. And I'm comparing it to climate change because that's the same. Instead of going, instead of talking about Real slavery, and I'm not, by saying real slavery, that's probably the wrong word. I'm not trying to say <laughs> that kind of slavery didn't exist. It absolutely did, and it's horrific. History is page after page of just horrors committed by humans against each other, and specifically these elite 
uh, psychopaths committing horrors against the serfs, which we're going to get to, of all races. It doesn't matter, right? We're not going to get into the bigger discussion is what I'm trying to say. And we're also not going to get into the discussion about modern-day slavery, which still exists right now in the world and is not being stopped. I talk about it all the time, the human trafficking, the organ harvesting, the they marry these young kids off before they're like seven years old, child brides. Uh, we're going to get into some stats about modern slavery that's happening right now, which would blow your mind. But no, we want the media is not going to talk about that stuff. They want us obsessing about things of the past, of which none of us were present for. And of course, of which our history books and our university campuses and everything are completely not teaching you the whole story. It's out of context. And we'll get to it. Trust me. I'm going to prove this to you. But I think that all of this is smoke and mirrors. They're coming up with trigger emotional issues that appeal specifically, I think, to women first and, you know, the feminized males to trigger the emotion, the movements, right? Because they know most people, and they do this to everybody, but most people aren't going to look past the headlines. Most people aren't going to think past the first thing they heard. They're going to hang on to that to the like with a death grip, and they're not going to actually investigate the issue. People that investigate the issue, like I do and many others, and you guys here listening to this and looking at it, that's caring about the issue. That's trying to make change, creating awareness about truth, about what really happened and what's really going on, and trying to actively stop legitimate cr um, crimes against humanity that are taking place right now that these guys don't want to talk about and instead obsess about the past, this is to engender guilt, a guilt complex. Because if you're if you're riddled with guilt, whether it's legitimate or if it's fake, it's implanted, it's created, it's the narrative, right? If they can get you in that guilt complex, they've got you. That's control that they have over your mind. This is why even Bob Marley was writing the song. He's like, look, you got to emancipate yourself from mental slavery. And many others. That what about the what about psychological slavery? <laughs> you don't think slavery exists right now? And if, uh, uh, like, so the modern day slavery, like I'm talking about, I'm going to get to specifics on that. But then let's zoom into zoom out to the other aspect that humanity is enslaved psychologically and spiritually on multiple levels. Look at the world in the last two and a half years. People are being herded around like farm animals through it's just watching the footage of what we just witnessed it's a slavery that's happened up here and this type of propaganda is to continue that agenda of enslaving your mind they don't want you thinking for yourself on these subjects you're going to listen to the people the selected experts that they want you to listen to that are only going to give you pieces of the story to trigger emotive thinking create the guilt complex and then what's their solution? If it's just as simple as an apology, we would have been done this a long time ago. How many guys, how many, how many apologies, how many attempts? I mean, could ending slavery be considered an apology? 
And people are, you know, the, the left is going to come back with, well, what about institutionalized racism and all that kind of stuff? Look, there, this has already been exposed. There's so many people out there that have exposed the flaws in these arguments and that these are, these are straw man arguments. These are, uh, it's ridiculous. And when we start getting into people like Thomas Sowell and many others, it's, it's over, man. That's that narrative is over. We need to work on dealing with modern slavery and there are many kinds and I've got a few ideas about it that we're going to get into, but I just saw this article and I was like, what? I've never seen that push in Canada before. It's always been about the first nations issues of which there are many legitimate issues that they have with the government and the church and the crown. Trust me. It's not a nice history, but it's not a nice history for anybody as we're going to see. It's been us plebes, us serfs of all races, genders and colors and backgrounds against the syndicates of the world, the elites, the, 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 the dark elites, because there's also been positive elites in history, of course. Surprise, surprise. Just as there's good and bad people in every racial group, there's good men and there's evil men. There's good women and there's evil women. There's good black people and there's evil black people. There's good white people and there's evil white people. There's good native people and there's evil native people. What did Solzhenitsyn say? Good and evil strikes through the heart of every human being. What I think, and the reason I think people bite down on this kind of nonsense is it's actually a fear of freedom. It's, it's actually a fear, even though they're barking about slavery and, oh, we got to re resolve these wounds from the past. Well, if you keep stirring it up, these wounds will never heal, okay? We'll never have legitimate conversations. We'll never heal these ancient wounds. We're all wounded historically through filiogenetic race memory of trauma from the past that happened to all of our ancestors at some point in time in history. Nobody escapes the pages of history unscathed, okay? Nobody does. Nobody does. Humanity itself has a blood-soaked, horror-ridden history that would blow most people's minds, even though you know what I'm saying is true. If you actually dive into it, you'll realize, oh my God, it's mostly been a shit show. Okay? We've been horrible to each other. We're still horrible to each other. But we have made amazing progress. And it's not as bad as they're trying to make it seem because in the end, it's about maintaining power over the people. And you can't have, I think there was an active movement to suppress uh, all these different cultures in different ways, right? Like what worked against Africa wouldn't have worked against Western countries. So they worked on enslaving the mind of the Western peoples and the labor of the Western peoples in a different way than they did with the Africans or they did with the the people from the Middle East or whatever. There's, there's sort of a different strategy that needs to be used by these various elite classes to keep control over their herd, over their little farm. And they use different strategies to do it. In the Western context, in the modern time, this is how they're doing it. Beating you over the head with the past while obscuring the facts of the past of what really went ha what happened. In the end, they're also collectivists. And I want to point that out right out of the gate because everybody might have their own way of interpreting all this data. I'll leave it to you. In the end, the way they talk to you is about groups. Groups. 
Now you might belong to a particular racial group. You might belong to a particular gender, <laughs> right? Of which there's only two. Um, you might belong to a particular ideology or religion. You know, you were raised this, you were, you know, whatever. But in the end, you're still an individual mind and you still have personal responsibility for your life choices here and now. So they never open up with talking about this from an individual standpoint. Who specifically on an individual level is responsible for the crimes of the past in those times? That means we have to do a forensic analysis and get right into the meat of it and right into the details and try to figure out, okay, when we're going to talk about the crimes and horrors of slavery from the past, whether it's Atlantic slave trade, Islamic slave trade, Ottoman Empire, we're going to get to it, Asian continents, oh, what went down in all of the far left um, socialist experiments all over the world. There was a form of slavery there that they don't want to talk about. That was much more modern. Talk about Mao Zedong and Stalin and all that. Um, we've also got, well, I'm going to pause. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. I got so much. I'm so excited. So we'll get to it all. But um, you're an individual and you alone in this life are accountable for your actions. So if you as an individual see somebody that's a different color, has different melanin in their skin than you, and that is the sole reason that you hate that person and are going to discriminate against that person or do horrible crimes towards that person or look upon that as a general category and then enslave those people, then you alone are responsible for that. You can't, just because you might be from a particular race, you can't have the whole crime put on, you can't make it collective is what I'm trying to say. It's a individual situation. So with the First Nations people, the crimes that were done to them, residential schools, the whole thing, who specifically was responsible for that? Was it all of the Western European settlers in Canada? Or was it particular elite classes of people within the government, in the church? And that represented the crown that were responsible for those crimes of experimentation, stunting the growth of a people, violating agreements and um, treaties, right? So in my mind, you guys tell me if I'm crazy or if it's racist to say that I think the actual specific perpetrators have to be held accountable and not entire collective groups of people that had nothing to do with it in the past or even worse, in the present where it's not happening to that level. And if institutionalized racism is so horrifically bad that you can't get ahead because of your skin color in Canada, which is the most multicultural country around, that bends over backwards and spends billions of dollars of tax money to create programs and opportunities for these minority groups in Canada and is opening up the floodgates for the entire world to come in here, how are we owing apologies for crimes 
of the past that are now being copied and pasted and related to Canadian history that had nothing really to do with it. Because the whole agenda here, guys, is to take down the whole of Western civilization, which means they're going to hit this same chord in a variety of different ways in every single Western nation. And this is a long known warfare strategy. This is a strategy. This is a war for the narrative. This is a psychological war and they're playing it not just against white people in Canada. They're also playing it against black people in Canada and in other countries just as much. Who are the real racists by, by their deeds, right? There's what people accuse and blame and, and project. And then there's the actions of certain people. So I don't want to hear anything about, I don't want to hear a word from Justin Trudeau, Mr. Four times or five times blackface lecturing Canada at all about this. Nor do I want to hear CTV news, which is now literally, they're all discredited for, I don't listen to anything they say. I now just take them apart in shows like this because it's just so ridiculous. They're being run by traders. They're being run by foreign assets. They're owned by people that are connected to some of the most shady people around. And we all know that. But I just wanted to say, you're an individual. You're a you alone are responsible for your own actions, words, and deeds in this life. And you can, nobody can be held to account because if we did, if we're going to play this game, it doesn't work out for anybody. And all it does, it's not productive. It just actually fans the flames of the very things that you're trying to pretend that you're against. I have, I was not raised in this country. I was born in 1982. I was born in Alberta, raised in Ontario and Saskatchewan, and I now reside in British Columbia. And I was, it wasn't even on the radar of my childhood to profile people based on race at all. It was not even a thing of my mind. It was, I, I lived in a neighborhood where there were people of different races. And we all got along. We were best friends. Some of my uh, training partners through my whole career. It, you don't look at, you don't look at, I never looked at anybody from that criteria. I never judged anybody. And I never had an easy go because of my race in Canada. That's just not something that ever happened. I had a very difficult go in this life. Surprise, surprise. As has many people. And that's just, I can only look at my own personal experience. So judging people by race in Canada, that wasn't a thing in my experience growing up. Only when the media started this trend have we seen more tensions between different groups. And that's what I'm saying. And that's how I know it's not about what they're saying it's about. So before we continue here, and you're going to, you know, if you want to read the CTV article, go look it up. But I'm here to counter this whole narrative right out of the gate with one of the greats. And um, let's hear a real history lesson with some actual context and some actual facts that you can independently verify. And if you're sitting here right now and you're seeing this rhetoric being drummed up right now, 
and your friends and your normie friends are going to start talking about it and everybody's going to start changing their profile pictures and it's become the new, it's going to be the U, the new Ukrainian flag, I'm sure. Um, you're going to need to have some data and some facts at your disposal uh, because the Western world is under attack because really it's freedom that's under attack. And you need to know how the enemy thinks. You got to know their, art, uh, their weapons, how they attack, their arguments. And you need to know the brilliant minds that have already done the work for you and have already decimated these people with real facts. And the end result of learning from someone like Thomas Sowell, who I'm going to play a bit for you, um, who I can't recommend enough, one of the most brilliant intellectuals of our time. You have to read his books so many on so many subjects. Um, and he happens to be African-American. And he's an American patriot. He loves America. He, he's been attacked. He's been fighting back against this for a long time. Um, people like this have been around forever and there's tons of data. And then again, when you hear their arguments, their arguments don't end with creating more division. The arguments end with unifying people under the facts, the truth, and making sure people understand what really went wrong and who the real perpetrators were so that we can move forward and evolve into the future and move past all this shit, all this division, all these lies. That's the value of it. These people, your professors, the media, the charlatans in the media, constantly pandering this. And even the people who are just the useful idiots in this that believe they drank the Kool-Aid of it and they feel victimized by historical events that happened even outside of their own lives. And they're now going to project that whole mentality on maybe the personal failures that they've had. That can all go away when the truth comes out. And so that's why we go to uh, people like this. So Without further ado, let's hear some Thomas Sowell, see what he's got to say about all this slavery stuff. Anyone wish to arbitrarily understate an evil that plagued mankind for thousands of years, unless it was not this evil itself that was the real concern, but rather the present-day uses of that historic evil. Clearly, the ability to score ideological points against American society or Western civilization or to induce guilt and thereby extract benefits from the white population today are greatly enhanced by making enslavement appear to be a peculiarly American or a peculiarly white crime. This explanation is also consistent with the otherwise inexplicable contrast between the fiery rhetoric about past slavery in the United States used by those who pass over in utter silence the traumas of slavery that still exist in Mauritania, the Sudan, and parts of Nigeria and Benin. Why so much more concern for dead people who are now beyond our help than for living human beings suffering the burdens and humiliations of slavery today? It takes no more research than a trip to almost any public library or college library to show the incredibly lopsided coverage of slavery in the United States or in the Western Hemisphere as compared to the meager writings on the even larger number of Africans enslaved in the Islamic countries of the Middle East and North Africa, not to mention the vast numbers of Europeans also enslaved in centuries past in the Islamic world and within Europe itself. At least a million Europeans were enslaved by North African pirates alone from 1500 to 1800. And some European slaves were still being sold on the auction block in Egypt, years after the Emancipation Proclamation freed blacks in the United States. 
Indeed, an Anglo-Egyptian treaty of August 4, 1877, prohibited the continued sale of white slaves after August 3, 1885, as well as prohibiting the import and export of Sudanese and Abyssinian slaves. During the Middle Ages, Slavs were so widely used as slaves in both Europe and the Islamic world that the very word slave derived from the word for Slav, not only in English, but also in other European languages, as well as in Arabic. Nor have Asians or Polynesians been exempt from either being enslaved or enslaving others. China, in centuries past, has been described as one of the largest and most comprehensive markets for the exchange of human beings in the world. Slavery was also common in India, where it has been estimated that there were more slaves than in the entire Western Hemisphere, and where the original thugs kidnapped children for the purpose of enslavement. In some of the cities of Southeast Asia, slaves were a majority of the population. Slavery was also an established institution in the Western Hemisphere, before Columbus's ships ever appeared on the horizon. The Ottoman Empire regularly enslaved a percentage of the young boys from the Balkans, converted them to Islam, and assigned them to various duties in the civil or military establishment. Race and Slavery The instrumental use of the history of slavery today also underlies the claim that slavery grew out of racism. For most of its long history, which includes most of the history of the human race, slavery was largely not the enslavement of racially different people, for the simple reason that only in recent centuries has either the technology or the wealth existed to go to another continent to get slaves and transport them en masse across an ocean. People were enslaved because they were vulnerable, not because of how they looked. The peoples of the Balkans were enslaved by fellow Europeans, as well as by the peoples of the Middle East, for at least six centuries before the first African was brought to the Western Hemisphere. Before the modern era, by and large, Europeans enslaved other Europeans, Asians enslaved other Asians, Africans enslaved other Africans, and the indigenous peoples of the Western Hemisphere enslaved other indigenous peoples of the Western Hemisphere. Slavery was not based on race, much less on theories about race. Only relatively late in history did enslavement across racial lines occur on such a scale as to promote an ideology of racism that outlasted the institution of slavery itself. Wherever a separate people were enslaved, they were disdained or despised, whether they were different by country, religion, caste, race, or tribe. The Europeans who were enslaved in North Africa were despised and abused because they were Christians in a Muslim region of the world, where they were called Christian dogs. Race became the most visible difference between slaves and slave owners in the Western Hemisphere. As distinguished historian Daniel J. Borston put it, Now for the first time in Western history, the status of slave coincided with a difference of race. To make racism the driving force behind slavery is to make a historically recent factor the cause of an institution which originated thousands of years earlier. This enshrinement of racism as an overarching causal factor accords far more with current instrumental agendas than with history. The there it is, guys. Memorize those points. Case closed. And don't just memorize them. Go research all this. Go into the, the history and fact check Thomas Sowell and look at it. 
There are many great books about this. There's a lot of great information about this. The academics know it or they're pretending they don't know, but it doesn't, that's what he said. He said the idea of conflating slavery in the past with race and then bringing that forward in a modern context to beat people over the head with is about political agendas and has nothing whatsoever to do with history or facts or anything like that. So when people say, Dave, you're such a conspiracy theorist. Everything you think, you think everything's a lie. Yeah, everything's a lie because humans lie more than they tell the truth. We're conspiratorial creatures, especially people who don't have, you know, they're not honest because they don't have any virtue or morals or integrity. And virtues, moral, and integrity, that's rare. So there's a reason. History is nothing but a story of slavery. It's a story of human slavery. That's history for you. And it's just been changed and morphed and it's, we've gone up and down. We've made progress, then we've regressed. But for these people to be coming out, I don't care what country you live in right now and trying to beat you over the head with guilt and ask for apologies. And, and then what's even that, like the solution, you just want Justin Trudeau to come out and apologize. And then what? That's it. What's that going to do to stop 2 million children from being taken off the streets all over the world and sold in sex slavery? What's that going to do to stop modern slavery? What about the child soldiering going on in Africa? We don't hear about that. Remember Coney 2012? Where did that go? Why don't any of these betas get a whole bunch of people together to go over and hunt down child soldiering, uh, the people starting child soldiering? Like legit slavery. And then we're not going to talk about the entire totalitarian enterprise being put together right now to enslave the entire human race. That's just... No, no, we just want an apology. For, we want Trudeau to put on a, his socks and come out with his dumb and dumber haircut and just go, guys, I'm so sorry. The guy's existence is an apology to every cause that these people tell him to be a part of. He went out during the pandemic, the height of the pandemic in 2020, when Antifa and BLM, which don't have anything to do at the top with the causes that they espouse, they're, the people running them are making millions of dollars. They're all financed by Europeans in Davos and elsewhere, your George Soros types and all of that. What a crock. And yet they just rake in money out of the goodness of people's heart who want to just see change in a better world, but don't think past the headline. And they just donate their money to these causes. And these guys just rake it in. And then these people are putting themselves up in million-dollar mansions in Beverly Hills. And nobody has questions. And you think it's really about trying to stop some kind of racism? Racism is something that's worked out between individuals and people. The government is not... Unless there's somebody starting up some kind of like slave compound, which <laughs> people are doing that and nobody's stopping it. But unless somebody's starting some kind of slave compound in your country, the government, that's not their job to go rewrite the textbooks in the universities and to try to beat you over the head every day with all a bunch of nonsense without showing you the other side. See, if you're going to present something, you have to show it all. So I showed you, there's your 
Marxist talking points from the mainstream media in Canada. And then here's Thomas Sowell, who would slap them silly in five seconds flat if they ever brought him on their platform for an interview. So if this is a emancipation day in Canada, why aren't you interviewing the people that are actually moving, moving people forward in the black community? What, hel what helps people get out of a mindset that they're less than and they're abused and marginalized and it's not fair and they've been all this and they're afraid of it? What moves the goalposts for those people? What helps those people? Look at the Democrat-run cities in the United States, just as an example. Chicago, run by Democrats, all talking about, we're going to give money to people in low-income black communities in Chicago, and we're going to put all this money into these programs for decades. And it doesn't stop the problems in those communities. It actually keeps them down because the mindset keeps them down. The mindset. If you're beaten over the head since you're a child by your parents, by the media, by the culture around you, to basically say, anybody that doesn't look like you hates you and is your enemy and is trying to exploit you and has an upper hand and wants to seek your ruin and is racist and all that. And that's put in your head all the time. You're creating a victim mentality and you're also creating a mentality that encourages more division, crime, violence against people because of that. It's They've created this whole thing artificially. History does not reflect the arguments that they make. Thomas Sowell took it down in five minutes. And if you go to his books and the source, he'll source it all and you can go learn about it. Why don't we ever talk about the Islamic slave trade? You can't even say it. You can't even talk about it. And I, I, I'm not the one dwelling in the past. I don't want to have to dig up all the skeletons of the past. I'd prefer we move on. But if you're going, if we're playing this game, it it doesn't really work out. I love how he brings it up. People within their own racial groups have enslaved each other. Whites have enslaved whites. Blacks have enslaved blacks. Natives have ex uh, enslaved natives. There were black slave owners in America that owned black slaves. There were black slave traders in Africa that sold black people to those ships. And it was actually considered winning the lottery if you ended up going to America versus the Islamic world. All slavery is evil. None of it is good. But it was, it wasn't, it wasn't as he, as he's also breaking down, it wasn't this whole like targeting agenda of this one group, racial group over another racial group. It was just, that's how shit got done back then. That was the way it was as horrible as it is. That's the way it was. And then why here's the biggest destruction of their entire thesis or it's not even a thesis, their conspiracy theory can get taken down in a second when all you got to do is sit there and go, oh yeah, you're telling me, all actually, this is my strategy. This is what I do when these people get up in my face and they start going, oh, the crimes and the history. I just let them go. Slave trade. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and white, white people were still benefiting today. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Who else is benefiting from Western civilization? Why are we all coming over here if it's so evil and racist? And they're fleeing places like Venezuela, Africa, right? 
Why are, you know, it's, it's amazing, but I let them go on and on and on. And then I sit back and I go, yeah, yeah. Okay. History is full of darkness and slavery and evil. Yeah, I get it. Right. Um, who stopped it? Which countries specifically fought to stop it? And you just wait. And which countries didn't? To this day, to this day, which countries rose up and shut down the institutions of slavery? There's only Western countries that have done that. I'm sorry, Britain and America. That's it. And it wasn't just like they went, all right, guys, we'll, we'll let all the slaves go. It's all this. It was a bloody war that was fought. It was a nonstop pushing against the tides of all of history, trying to broker deals with other countries of that time, other empires of that time to go in and say, we're doing away with this institution of slavery. You know, when the British were working to end slavery in Britain and, and outlaw it and then shut it down, and they were also trying to make it, get it shut down in some of these other countries, they were looked at as the quacks of their day. Nobody understood why they were trying to shut down slavery. Like, why are you even, what do you, it, it wasn't even something that was registering in the minds of those people from these other nations that were enslaving their own people and taking people from nearby countries and just looking for vulnerable tribes to pull them and get into the Mayans, the history of the Mayans. Like, but fast forwarding through history, you come up and they, they, these, the British and the Americans were looked at as being looney tunes for trying to get rid of slavery. Because people didn't even have a concept in their mind of how progress could have happened without it. Slavery was needed. That's how they looked. It was just like, ah, it's just like, you know, farming or anything. Oh, it's just part of what we have to do. Just nature. You look for who's vulnerable, put them to work. Done. Like, it, that's how life was all. It was a universal practice. And they had to fight and fight and fight and fight. And I'm not saying the, the whole history of the British Empire is ponies and rainbows by any stretch. The British people are very different from the crown and gown that runs the creatures that ran that whole thing. That's totally different. Just the same in America or anywhere else, right? There's corrupt, evil people that get to the top and they abuse their power and they do these evil things. But it is not as cut and dry as they're trying to teach your kids in school about this. This history, you better introduce your children and your teens to the work of people like Thomas Sowell and many, many, many other great historians who were brave enough to come out and speak this and show, show the facts, the data. This isn't opinions. This isn't about opinions anymore. People are going to go, oh, that's your opinion. Dude. No, no, no. It's history. It's what we have of history. And yet, history is convoluted and nobody agrees, but you can get into the facts. There's a good book called White Cargo you can get into. There's a good book. There's lots of good books just to tell you the other side of the story. What about some of these mass genocides that took place? Evil has been done from every possible angle you can imagine. If humans are there, there's evil going on somewhere. But there's also good. And there's also people that fight against evil and try to end it. And so I sit back and I go, are we still here? Hundreds of years after wars were fought to stop slavery and not fought in other countries 
only in the West, and yet we're the ones getting beaten over the back with it. Yet, if you live in a Western country, I don't care anywhere else you live in the world, you have an advantage. Even if, yep, there's there's disadvantages between individual groups, like you can get into all kinds of things, but these deconstructionist Marxist types are going to deconstruct everything until they destroy the whole thing and themselves in the process. That's the train they're on. So they want to rewrite history. It's the old Orwell thing. He who controls the past controls the present. He who controls the present controls the future. People within these communities, the black community, the native community, these minority groups, they've been held as slaves mentally under this lie that they don't have an opportunity that they do. And if you're told that consciousness creates reality and you walk around and you're suspicious of everybody. And every time something bad happens to you, you're just going to keep blaming that racism over and over again and never holding accountability. And if you can't find that ability to rise up, even when you do meet some racism, even when you do meet some institutional, uh, whatever, although show me the companies that are at this point, all, all the media, all the company, all Netflix, dude, they're replacing. It's so bad. They're rewriting the history of stories that came purely out of the West and casting these characters. And I, if, if they did that the other way around, I wouldn't want to have anything to do with that. Wesley Snipes, Passenger 57, now starring Drake. Or no, not Drake. That'd be uh What's that? I was thinking of the other guy, that Canadian. Oh, Justin Bieber is now going to be playing Passenger 57. It would have been like, no, it's Wesley Snipes all the way, man. You don't change the characters and rewrite the story. Have you seen the trailers for like the new Lord of the Rings? Who wrote Lord of the Rings and whose histories are contained in that story? Write another story. Write, tell us your story. Right? It's ridiculous, but this is how they do it. And it's like a, it's just, to me, it's just as offensive to those people. It doesn't promote them by rewriting King Arthur and making King Arthur a black guy like that. How does that help anything? King Arthur is a Western story. There's nothing racist about it. It's just a story that came out of Western peoples and Western history. Leave it that and then tell a story for about an African, a great African king and do that story. That would help promote African culture and bring everybody equal. That would be better instead of going in and replacing all the literature that's a way that you colonize a country and do the exact same thing that you're supposedly railing against. And that uh, two wrongs don't make a right. Lies don't heal previous crimes. Raising children. And so now the children are going to be raised. They're not even going to know. Like I was sitting there with my wife. We're watching like Beauty and the, the new Beauty and the Beast and all this stuff. And you're like, what? It's out of context. People of that time, because there's these stories that are written in the context of their time. And then they're replacing the characters with people of all these different races. You got like Asians in there. And it's like, now these kids are watching this stuff and they don't have an accurate view of history. The whole point of telling a mythological story in an accurate historical context is to activate a left and right hemisphere way of thinking and actually helping a child connect to reality through fiction. If it's fiction upon fiction upon fiction, you're not now they don't they don't have a connection to history. And then the crimes that were done are white are just washed away, never to be remembered. 
tearing down statues of everybody you think is a racist, pulling down statues of Thomas Jefferson and all these people who fought against it. Abraham Lincoln, they're pulling down statues of Abraham Lincoln because they find him patriarchal white supremacy. I'm like, what? That's the guy that allegedly freed the slaves in America. It's going bonkers because it's not about that. It's never been about that. It's never been about trying to heal these things and improve them because, and then the other fact of it is, here's the other fact of it. We still have modern day slavery. In fact, some estimates have shown that there's more modern day slaves right now in the world than there ever has been in history because of the, because of the um, industrial revolution. We can travel, we, they can ship. There's all these new ways that they can ship people and shipping containers and all that at a way more sophisticated level. They have the internet. They have a whole new way of doing business now with human beings from all different groups, organ harvesting, human trafficking, sex, pedophilia, the whole deal. And then what about the fact that every single one of us is a slave? We're a tax slave. Our, our bodies, see, we were birthed into the hospitals, to the hospitalers who manage human production. And they got you at what? Got you at both fucking ends, right? You're born in white, you die in black. When you're born in white, they take, they give you an all capital letters name and you are now traded on the stock exchanges of the world. Just like the old stock exchanges when you'd go to, they'd buy slaves in Rome and or buy slaves in, uh, you know, Alexandria or whatever, and bring them to Rome. It's just a new form. Now, is the media ever going to tell you about that? No, because they're in that system. They're the people that own their freaking little media empire run that shit. I mean, the symbol of Vanguard is what? A big giant ship. Shipping, maritime, slaves transfer, Atlantic slave trade. Come on, it's all there. So there's slavery all right. And so my question is, why aren't we actually trying to break the chains of all slavery, all of it for everybody? And the only way we can do that is by breaking the chains of the lies of the past or even the crimes of the past that did com get committed. And it's horrible what's happened. And yes, people have been displaced. And yes, there's still lasting effects. But how the hell are you going to heal that? And I'm not speaking to these propagandists because they either are just useful idiots or they know exactly what they're doing. Um, I'm speaking to the normies that try to justify in their minds how they're even going to dare thinking, think differently on this subject and educate themselves. How the hell is any of this improving relations amongst human beings and encouraging more empathy and, and making real change? How is constantly, everything's racist. How is that helping anybody? When I was growing up, that wasn't there. It was kind of there, but it was not there at all, not even close. And I'm only 40 years old, so this isn't even, this is kind of a newer thing that they've really ramped it up. Nobody was talking, nobody was sitting there going, oh, I'm not going to sit near that black guy. Like, never. That just didn't happen around me. Not saying it doesn't happen, not saying it isn't. I'm just saying I, that wasn't my experience growing up. My experience growing up was, First of all, culturally with the media, you know how the media is trying to like overcompensate and everything is now just like, you know, interracial couples and, you know, promoting all these. And you're like, whoa, what's going on? 
I grew up with like Spawn. Remember the movie Spawn? As a black guy, superhero, love the film. Uh, all, when they were saying stuff, uh, ridiculous stuff like, oh, they don't properly represent black people in the media. I'm like, what about Blade? Superheroes. Like, because they were saying with all the Marvel coming out, they're like, no, we need some black superheroes. Like, we had black superheroes. I hate even talking about it because it's so ridiculous. And I don't even want to do a disservice to black people by the fact that they're getting, they must, I talked to these friends of mine that come from those communities and they freaking hate this stuff because they think about how it, it's like embarrassing. It's like, I don't feel like a victim. I don't need you to replace characters in movies to make me feel somehow more accepted. This is, it's like you're gaslighting people. You're uh, what's the right word? Patronizing people. And then the people, your Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, all these people, they're the most racist people walking the planet. And they're the ones that are carrying the torch of this. It's ridiculous. So I don't want to keep ranting about it. You guys make up your own minds, but just go read some Thomas Sowell and, uh, and get started with that because we have to move forward into the future where we can get past all this stuff. And then the reason I'm really bringing this up again is because they're bringing it up, the media, but also because what are your kids getting taught in school? It's everywhere. I'm homeschool. My wife and I are homeschooling our girls and we've even had to change homeschooling curriculums because it started showing up in the homeschooling curriculum. All this trans and uh, critical race theory and all this crap. That's just, it's so detrimental to their development. And it's, packed full of lies and we know it's an agenda because we know these guys at the top they want a transhumanist future where there's no difference or distinction amongst men or women or humans at all they want a one seasoned world that there's a creature living in it whoever survives that is like a genderless raceless cultureless godless transhuman cyborg slave. If you want to talk slavery, cast your mind into the future of where this train goes if it's not stopped. And I think all slavery of modern times and past times will pale in comparison to what's coming should we continue to allow this deception and all these different areas to continue to grow and to allow our children to be raised with these ridiculous lies that are just there to divide and conquer. Nothing more. It's not improving anybody's lives. The only thing that improves is to show the truth and allow the, allow the wounds of the past to heal so that we can rebuild and move forward into a future that is not going to be that cyborg nightmare that I was talking about. So it's everywhere. It's in the school curriculums. It's in the private school curriculum. So if you think there's safe haven there, unfortunately, they've been overcome by these Marxists, these cultural Marxists. Uh, even the homeschooling curriculums, you got to watch it. You, every YouTube kids, it's just loaded everywhere you go. This, so that's where it's, I know it's an agenda. We all know it's an agenda. And the, what, what the, the real injustice of all of it is that the true victims that right now in this life, in this time on this planet that are enslaved, that's being ignored favoring some abstract, totally historically inaccurate view of historical crimes and slavery. 
that's talked, spoken out of context and without the full weight of the facts or the full spectrum of the facts. So there's my rant on that. Let me know what you guys think. Um, now we're going to move on. And I got a couple slides for you that we're going to go through. We're going to open up. I posted these uh, quotes yesterday on my social media. So I'm going to open with that. These first two, they come from Arno Gruen. And the reason I brought these up is because I was doing, um, I was recording the upcoming episode of Unslave with Michael. And he brought up Arno Gruen in, he brought up a few other quotes from him. And uh, we were talking about it in relation to, you know, the fall of the West and human psychology and all this stuff. And I went, oh, I'm going to go look it up. And this is what I like to do when I hear some of these brilliant gems come from names that, you know, sometimes you can't keep track of them all. I'll go look up these quotes. And I found some real good ones here that are just awesome. And this one's great. It says, if people base their identity on identifying with authority, then freedom causes anxiety. So now we're getting into something that's a little more personal here. I guess it's all personal in the end. But yeah, if just think about that first opening statement. If people base their identity of who they are on identifying with authority, which is what the young people of this world are being trained to do, and what this whole COVID pandemic was done to just accelerate, and what this woke stuff is doing to accelerate is to cause you not to identify with a legitimate cause, but to identify with authority. Because mommy and daddy's know, the mommy daddy government knows best, right? The media orgs know best. The celebrities know best. Then what happens if you identify with authority? Instead of identifying with who you are and with a concept of the divine, a concept of family and community and your nation and your culture, then what happens is freedom then causes anxiety. And that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a all these people that no matter what subject we're talking about here, that you're trying to help wake up and say, hey, have you looked at something different? And they're like, no. Um, and they're, called, they're making fun of you for espousing freedom. I mean, we had these truckers. We got all these farmers up in arms because they know what's going on. And people are like, oh, the freedom people, they're all white supremacist Nazi or whatever. It, it's not about that. Those are just words they're filling in for the true underlying cause of their problem, which is that they feel anxiety about freedom in general. And that's been something that was engendered in them and induced in them through society and the media and bad parenting, et cetera. So he continues, they must then at this point, so once you realize that by identifying with authority, freedom then causes anxiety, these people must then conceal the victim in themselves by resorting to violence against others. And there's many kinds of violence. It's not even just physical violence. I mean, they did burn and loot the entire, <laughs> during all these riots that would not, were not condemned by the media or the government, which is really interesting. So they did cause real physical violence. Um, but there's also psychic and psychological violence, which is what we're living in. So just, he's giving you a psychological profile of what we're dealing with, with this mass psychosis. And then he's got another one. It just points to a truth. We would rather forgive the evil proliferating all around us than the rebellion against it, which we mistake for the true evil. This to me is one of the quotes, there are many, that really sum up this past two and a half years. And it also is very 
relevant to this conversation we're having about slavery and all of that and where we're headed if we don't understand this. That look at what these people who they believe themselves to be um, virtuous. They think they're fighting by fighting against those evil freedom people. By attacking and slandering brilliant minds that are literally advocating for humanity, for freedom, for truth. By fighting against that, they feel like they're on the Marvel Avenger team out to save the world and fight the evil. But the, he, he's telling you how they all that this government and the media has ever had to do is just project the other side and, and flip everything and invert everything, which is... That's the satanic cult. That's how they operate, right? The serpent cult. They invert, they flip, they inverse. And they. It, this is what the effects of all that is. And also the effects of, on an individual level, people refusing to face their own soul, refusing to face their own inner pain, their own inner trauma, in order to rise up as a hero and then go out and pursue the truth in their lives. So then what he's saying is this is, e this is an easier path for those people. And that's why so many people keep voting in tyrants, guys. This is why. Because we would rather forgive the evil, the real slavery proliferating all around us, than, or yeah, we'd rather forgive that evil. Which And we, we mistake the rebellion against that evil. People like us that are trying to have these conversations and upgrade people's education on these subjects and let them know what's really going on and provide them with the facts and try to educate them about the fact that, no, you can't trust known liars and criminals, guys. Can't keep trusting in lies. And now we're the evil. Simply because of his first statement that these people find freedom causes them some anxiety and discomfort because it bears it brings with it great responsibility doesn't it so there's a good profile i just love that quote but let's move into a different section of this and into a different section of history and we're going to take this in a slightly different direction now because i think it's all relatable let's talk about feudalism for a second this is just a basic map, you know, this is from World History Encyclopedia, just giving you a little sketch of a typical feudal society makeup in medieval Europe. And I just wanted to say a couple comments about it. There's a very nuanced discussion to be had about feudalism and the feudal period. Um, you'll find, I've spoken to many historians about it because I'm fascinated with medieval history, always love learning about the knights and all that and the way that that life was. And I love films and and books around that time period. I feel like I somehow my past life or one of my past lives was in this time period. I have a very strong connection to it. Um, and it wasn't all bad either. Okay. It's not just black and white anywhere you look. Uh, there were many positives to feudal society considering something that's very important, the context of the day. So if we get in a time machine and we go back to the medieval period, we can't judge that time based on the standards of modern times because things were different back then. Is that? I think that's pretty easy to understand. That's a rational position. I'm sure you would agree. All of these discussions are nuanced. Every historian you pick up is going to have a slightly different take on it. Uh, the information that we have about it, there is actually a lot. 
It was very well documented, but there's also a lot of missing pieces. There's been a few things that have been over-exaggerated about people when they talk about feudal society. It was all just dark, evil, whatever. There were many reasons why feudal societies were formed in European context and in Japan and in some of these older civilizations. But by and large, it's still a system that we left in the dustbin of history, allegedly, um, for a reason. Because there were also a lot of negatives, especially if you care about something called individual freedom and the right to private property and the right to reap what you sow. And uh, yeah, so not the ideal situation. But I just wanted to point out a little thing about this diagram that's interesting to me, especially as it relates to my series, Cult of the Medics, where we're studying the history of these uh, knights, knightly chivalric orders, these Masonic orders, these um, royal papal families and their history and how they never really went away. You know, you still got your Prince Charles running around the globe working with Klaus Schwab and Leonardo DiCaprio and Al Gore espousing all this stuff. You have many princes and dukes talking about how, you know, they wish they could return as a plague to wipe out humanity because there's too many of us. We got it all wrong. Um, you know, they still rock, walk around in their palaces. They still... I think there's a lot more going on there than we think. We think it's all just there for decoration, the queen's coronation. It's all just a ritual now. It's just a decoration. These people really don't have any power. I contend with that in my series. And I think we're dealing here uh, with a mindset of a particular bloodline of people or multiple bloodlines or even just ideological uh, descendants from these people that cling to the belief that they would like to see this type of system return in modern times. And that's what I think this whole reset is really all about. It's a modern form of serfdom that is run by a technocracy. So it's a, it's an upgraded version. This was the, this was the first mock test that these, uh, you know, the serpent cults and these elite, bloodlines tried for maintaining control of the farm. Um, and yeah, getting through some of the darkest periods of history for sure. But uh, they want to resurrect a new brand new version of it. And it's very similar actually. So like, look at it at the bottom, at the bottom of the heap are the serfs and the slaves. Okay. Those are the guys that they own nothing and they're not very happy. I'll tell you that because they're serfs and there's no freedom and you know, or in poverty. And then you got your freemen, which were the independent peasants. So you could, if you were a good slave, you got to be what are called superior slaves. So even though they call them freemen, make no mistake about it, there were still slaves. And then you had your uh, lords and your tenant vassals and your knightly orders. And then above them, you got your nobles, your vassals, your uh, barons and bishops. So the nobles were very connected to the church. And then you had your king and queen and your royal court. And then you had the church. That's how it was set up because the church was given the high authority because they were supposed to be the representatives of God or the gods. There's variations of this system. And in my estimation, it's not really run much different today. It's just colored differently to make it look like this is a remnant of the past and this was all done away with. But there are many features of our society and there are many people that 
come from these orders that never went away. These knightly orders, these royal orders, these Masonic orders haven't gone anywhere, guys. And it just so happens that a lot of your politicians run in those circles and are selected by people like this. And uh, when I say church, I'm not just talking about your local church up the road. <laughs> We're talking about the mother church. The mother churches. Mother Circe's. The, 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 the Jesuit, you know, papal empire that goes well above your average um, denominations. So there's your feudal society. And just a quick definition from Encyclopedia Britannica. There's a life when I was researching this, there's a lot of different definitions, but they're very much, the, they're similar. Okay. I, don't, I didn't make this a whole thing about feudalism. I just wanted to highlight a couple things. Very briefly, it's defined by scholars in the 17th century that the medieval feudal system was characterized by the absence of public authority and the exercise by local lords of administrative and judicial functions formerly and later performed by centralized governments. Centralized governments. General disorder and endemic conflict and the prevalence of bonds between lords and free dependents, which were vassals, which were forged by the Lord's bestowal of property called fiefs, fiefs with an F, and by their re reception of homage from the vassals. So just a quick description of a general thing of feudalism, okay? And then when you go to the Webster 1828 Dictionary, you just look up the word fief, fief, F-I-E-F. It actually is uh, similar roots to a feud, by the way. But a fee, a feud, a fief, an estate held of a superior on condition of military service. Yeah, so it could be a condition of military. So basically, somebody who's a, a superior that owns the estate, and it's held on a condition of military service. So, you know, you own land, but it's on condition to the crown. So whether it's to serve in the military, whether it's to serve the court or the king or give portions of your wealth and your earnings or your farm or your whatever, your goods back over. It's another it's like a different form of tax, okay? And you you can get into just look up fiefdom, fiefdom and get into that. It's just an interesting period of history to study, especially considering what they're doing in Davos right now. Um, and then serfdom. Here's a quick definition of serfdom. Serfdom, this is going to be very relevant, is a condition in medieval Europe in which a tenant farmer was bound to a hereditary plot of land and to the will of his landlord. So he was a slave. The vast majority of serfs in medieval Europe obtained their substance by cultivating a plot of land that was owned by that lord. They rent. They owned nothing. And they were happy. Right? They rented it. They worked for their living but they had to work for their living. There was no freedom to go, ah, okay, I'm going to go find a new job next week. Uh, this was the essential feature differentiating serfs from slaves who were bought and sold without reference to a plot of land. So yeah, slaves were going on back then too, and they came from all different races. It just depended on convenience at the time. The serf provided his own food and clothing for, from his own productive efforts. A substantial portion of the grain the serf grew on his holding had to be given to his lord. So imagine you're a farmer, you got your own land. If you're a serf, it's not as bad as being a slave, 
you're just kind of a slight upgrade. But at the end of the day, you got to drop all the coins in the purse. You got to bring all the goods to the Lord who doesn't have to do jack shit. The Lord could also compel the serf to cultivate that portion of the Lord's land that was not held by other tenants. The serf also had to use his Lord's grain mills and no others. The essential additional mark of serfdom was the lack of many personal liberties that were held by freemen. So freemen were like the next level of a slave. I still refer to them all as slaves because they were still under that big hierarchy, right? Um, but yeah, they, they were like the next superior slave up the rung. They were given, it's like, they're the free range animals that you get the free range over there. There's the free range farm. And then there's the, you know, pin them all down with barbed wire type, you know, it's the same kind of idea. Chief among these was the surf's lack of freedom of movement. Hmm. I wonder if I heard the lack of freedom of movement before in recent times. He could not permanently leave his holding or his village without his lord's permission. Hmm. I wonder if uh, people like Justin Trudeau were also fascinated with the medieval period and maybe stole a couple chapters out of that book. I don't know. What do you think? You have a lack of freedom of movement. You have to ask permission of your lord if you would like to travel. And uh, yeah. You also couldn't marry or change your occupation or dispose of your property without the Lord's permission. He was bound to his designated plot of land and could be transferred along with that land to a new Lord. Serfs were often harshly treated and had little legal redress against the actions of their Lords. A serf could become a free man only through uh, manumission, enfranchisement, and, or, or escape. So yeah, I guess if if uh, somehow they showed they were more valuable or they actually escaped, um, they could become free. So just an interesting, I just, that jumped out at me that they had no ability to just travel wherever they wanted, no freedom of movement. And this is the situation we are in right now, still in Canada and what the whole world just went through under the uh, the medical technocracy. So this then brings us to this great reset. This UN agenda, it's all the same. Great Reset, UN Agenda, New World Order, different names for the same shit. Is there a connection? I think there is. I think they're trying to resurrect and build a new, it is a new world, it is a new order, it is a new system that has taken what these elites, these dark elites have uh, found to be the most valuable pieces of all the experiments they've conducted over the last hundreds of years. In modern times, they've borrowed elements of fascism. They've borrowed elements of uh, socialism, communism, capitalism. They're blending all of it into a new package now. And they're trying to reset the world with that package that will only benefit them. And it will transfer all the land ownership, every blade of grass, every resource, go listen to Rosa Corey about UN Agenda 21 and the history of that, and then take notes and go over and read Klaus Schwab's book and let me know if any bells go off. Um, and they've borrowed from the serfdom of the past. Like These are the holy knights of that empire just in modern time. And they want the best of all of it merged together to make the most efficient human resource management system that would allow them to retake 
full spectrum dominance control over the means of production of the entire planet where they have the authority to allocate resources based on computer models or whatever. <laughs> okay. There's my quick synopsis, but Michael Rechtenwald, um, oh, the slide got cut off a little bit there. I, I've actually interviewed this gentleman in the past. I interviewed him uh, about all the woke stuff prior to the pandemic. I want to say 2016, 2017, I interviewed him. Um, you'll probably find that interview on my Podbean or my iTunes. So if you go and follow me on Podbean or iTunes and you type in his name, you'll probably find that interview there. I don't know if it's survived on other channels. Okay. Um, he wrote a book called Springtime for Snowflakes, which is a great read. He was a New York, uh, University of New York professor for many years. He started noticing the woke agenda. He got fired from his position and now he speaks openly. He does conferences. He writes papers. He writes books. And he's trying to alert America to what's going on with all this uh, cultural Marxism invading university campuses. So he's a great resource, but he comes from the academic world. Um, and so I'm going to go through an article that he wrote because he's just he does a really good job of summarizing what this Great Reset really is all about. Um, and maybe before I jump to those notes, I do want to say one more one thing in critique. Um, Something that happens with these institutional guys, uh, even when they get fired, they still want to keep one foot in that world, I guess, you know, try to keep close to it. It's what they know. It's how they've been trained. It's just the way they think about it. These guys are all very cr critical of conspiracy research. They don't like, they, they use the word conspiracy theory the same way the media does to denotes something that's just crazy or all oh, those guys are taking it too far, some grand conspiracy theory or whatever. And he has a few comments at the beginning of his thing. I'd like to interview him again to get specific on it um, where, you know, he's critiquing conspiracy research uh, in my mind. And many of these guys do it and I forgive him for it. And here's why. Because they then proceed to expose a grand conspiracy in their writings. <laughs> So they end up being on your side and they actually make a beautiful bridge for the normie world, for the people who are still coming out of the haze and the trance to be able to go, because you see the term conspiracy has been so bastardized and used as one of those words. You just, it's almost pointless using it anymore because the media did such a good job of it. And we know the CIA created it as a term to, you know, discredit anybody that was challenging the government narrative back before the JFK days and all that, but it's been very effective. So what these people, what these academics do, and partly I can understand it because they'll distance themselves from conspiracy theorists. It's like, all oh, those guys just take it too far, but you know, they do have some points. There's always like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but that's what these kind of people are. A lot of podcasters do it. A lot of popular people do it because they know that because of that term and because there has been wacky, there is a lot of wacky crap in the conspiracy world. Come on. It's very discohesive. It's like a, a bunch of people just arguing and fighting amongst each other over little pieces of scrap. There's no unified theory. There's no unified anything. It's a, it's a crazy messed up universe to jump into. Trust me. Um, but the problem is with that is they throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
in their statements and in the way they represent it. That's why people like me try to come in and give it some legitimacy by saying, look, I didn't invent this field of research, conspiracy research. And all you got to do just to debunk the whole thing is just start defining terms and then it's over, right? Because obviously there's a legal definition of the term conspiracy. I mean, Hunter Biden is involved in an a conspiracy investigation right now. Jeffrey Epstein was involved in a human trafficking conspiracy. Peter Nygaard was involved in a massive part with Epstein in a human trafficking sex slave conspiracy where they were actually, this is horrible, they were actually raping young girls, forcing them to have abortions, and then taking elements from those aborted fetuses and injecting it in themselves so that they could have longevity. It's the disgust, most disgusting thing you'd ever have. It's worse than what you'd think of just conspiracy, where people think, oh, the 9-11, Building 7, JFK, Bigfoot, alien. Like, it's, it's, it's like it's worse than that. But yet, in the legal setting, these guys are convicted of conspiracy. All your world, the, the, the politicians that were promoting known lies that ended up causing deaths of their citizens, criminal conspiracy is something that exists. That, so I guess I always have to have that say when I bring these types of things up and I show you these kinds of things because when I'm presenting this, I want to make sure that we do justice to legitimate conspiracy research, which is nothing short of just studying criminal psychology and criminality. But when we think conspiracy theory, we think more of like, this isn't just your local cartels and gangs and white, you know, a couple guys that were involved in fraud or whatever. We're talking grand conspiracies. And we're at a point now where this whole thing about a great reset and a new world order and world government and world control and all that, it's called a conspiracy theory, but it's really just a an elite criminal syndicate that is acting illegally and immorally in concert with other people who are acting illegally and morally, which is the very definition of conspiracy, to subvert law. The laws that were there to protect your bodily autonomy, your human rights, your right to free speech, your nation's borders, your everything to protect law. That was broken by all the governments of the world over the past two and a half years under the guise of a pandemic. I don't think you get more conspiratorial than that. So I guess I have to be a little bit defensive when I see great intellects coming to the fight and they're on our side, okay? Because I'll get to his notes on this. He's going to expose the conspiracy of the Great Reset right after condemning, not condemning, but sort of like, uh, is it a conspiracy theory? No, but... Here I am about to talk about a conspiracy, <laughs> but I know why. Okay. And I know why he probably even agrees with me. I'll have to have him on the show to ask him, but he will get more people to read his book and his article about the great reset or about what he's exposing. If he sort of lightly denounces conspiracy theory and then gets into the facts, it's actually a very good strategy. So don't hate on these intellectuals. There are many. They pretty much all, um, even Matthias Desmond and many others who are doing great work bringing pieces of all of this together. They're going to sit there and kind of throw a few jabs at conspiracy theorists and then proceed to unveil a conspiracy in front of your eyes. Um, and, in a, and we kind of need them to do that. I don't want Michael Rechtenwald to go out and apologize for that or rewrite his articles or not critique that. 
because we need people like him to be a bridge to the young people in these universities who are also taught, oh, walk past the conspiracy aisle and just keep going. So this is actually a legitimate way to help make a bridge, right? And then when you start getting into people like his work and many others, and you get up to speed about, oh, there's corruption in pharma, there's corruption in the media, there's corruption in the government. These guys are acting in concert together around the world to bring some kind of reset. What's the nature of it? What's the goal? Oh, the champions of the Great Reset believe such and such. And, you know, yeah, it's a big organized conspiracy, all right. It's been in the works for a long time, but they need a way to bridge the gap. And then those people can, after they see, oh, yeah, there is something real uh, off with this Klaus Schwab character and the World Economic Forum and the UN and all that. Um, Bill Gates, like we're starting to see this as people getting it. Once you get there, then you can come to a show like this and you can, I can help take you down the rest of the way down the rabbit hole. So just had to say that. Much respect, no hard feelings, but I did have to say that, okay? So let's get into his comments because he does a good job of summarizing the situation and he, I'll post the entire, as again, as always, guys, I'm going to put everything on my telegram after this. I'll put the whole article. It's worth the read. Um, and so if you're trying to break down to your friends, what the great reset really is, this article will actually serve you very well. Okay. So here's a few snippets from it. He's saying this, in addition to being promoted as a response to COVID, the great reset is promoted as a response to climate change. In 2017, the World Economic Forum published a paper entitled, We Need to Reset the Global Operating System to Achieve the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. On June 13, 2019, the World Economic Forum signed a memorandum on understanding, of understanding, rather, with the United Nations to form a partnership to advance the UN 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. You know, the one that Trudeau loves and Boris loves and Jacinda loves and Biden loves. They all love it. Um, shortly after that, the WEF published the United Nations World Economic Forum Strategic Partnership Framework for the 2030 Agenda. So I'm glad he's pointing this out. There was a sort of, the World Economic Forum, even though it was all finances started by the same people, okay, uh, they were sort of distanced from the UN up until this point where they made sort of like an alliance with the UN. And they went, hey, Klaus Schwab, you want to do a great reset. You want to have a new world order. And then the UN is like, oh, we want to have a new world order. We've been working on it for hundreds of years. Oh, hey, let's get together and make a big happy family and do this together. On the surface, that's what it looks like. We know these guys are all set up by the Umbrella Corporation in the background. There's a conspiracy theory side coming out. Um, but but that's how it happened. There's sort of a merger between these two institutions to align their visions and also not just their visions, but to align their resources. That's the key here. The funding of the get the get and then get the the narrative aligned. And there's a there's a certain way that they do it. There's also a ritual component to it, but we'll save that for later. Quote, continuing on, promising to help finance the UN's climate change agenda and committing the WEF to help the UN, quote, meet the needs of the fourth industrial revolution, end quote, including providing assets and expertise for, quote, digital governance. There's your matrix, all right? Digital governance. 
There's your transhumanism coming together to create human 2.0, slave 2.0. He continues, the Great Reset aims to usher in a bewildering economic amalgam. Schwab's stakeholder capitalism, which I have called corporate socialism, and Italian philosopher Giorgio Agamben has called communist capitalism. So have you noticed this? Let me just come back before I continue reading this. Have you noticed this? And I want to make sure we clear up confusion. That's my job, helping to clear up confusion, hopefully. Um, people have been fighting over whether or not this thing is a fascist agenda or a communist agenda or a socialist agenda. Which agenda is it? Now, I did a show kind of getting into the nuts and bolts of all those terms because they're all the same shit with just different labels and a few different tweaks to it. They were all separate experiments that were done by these elites, these rock up, these big financiers and the big globalists. Um, and what I think this has, the reason people, as, as these intellectuals are starting to actually go and read the what these people are saying and see it happen in real time, they see these policies coming in, they're, 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 they're starting to get triggered. Oh, wait, that sounds a lot like communism or that sounds a lot like fascism or wow, that's socialism. And they're all coming to it. And what I love is when you get, when you have the ability to know what we're talking about here, this is why the conspiracy theorists are going to be right in the end. We we've had all these notes forever. Uh, it's all the same. When you zoom out of the terms and all the little fights that happen in the intellectual circus of the circles about those terms. And you zoom out and you realize they're all just different, different flavors of Gatorade. Um, you can interchange those terms anytime you want. When you hear one guy saying it's a communist agenda and you're another guy, Oh, it's a fascist agenda. Oh no, it's socialism. No, it's this, it's that crony capitalism. They're all right. <laughs> they're all right. So I just wanted to point it out. So he's calling it corporate socialism and the other guy's calling it communist capitalism, which is, is really funny actually, because isn't that supposed to be two opposite forces? I like that this guy, Giorgio, is calling it communist capitalism because that's a term that's going to make people go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's a contradiction. But that's going to make you think. And it's actually leading to the truth that when he, because the reason he's calling it communist capitalism is sort of a little jab at Klaus Schwab's term stakeholder capitalism. So he's using the term capitalism to appease the fear in the West because the other nations have already bowed and bend the knees and they don't give a shit. They don't care what the terms are. They're just like, let's go. They're all held in poverty and slavery. So they're just like, just give us something better. Um, but in the West, fascism, communism, oh, that's icky here. So they go, well, they like capitalism in the West, especially in America. So we'll call it stakeholder capitalism and they'll never know that it's actually socialism. It's actually totalitarianism. Nothing to do with laissez-faire, free market, individual, private property rights, bodily autonomy, none of that. So it's actually a good term. So anyways, I just want to point those things out. Let's continue. He continues, in brief, stakeholder capitalism, which is what they're calling the Great Reset, involves the behavioral modification of corporations to benefit not shareholders, but stakeholders, individuals and groups that stand to benefit or lose from corporate behavior. 
Stakeholder capitalism requires not only corporate responses to pandemics and ecological issues such as climate change, but also, this is a quote, but also rethinking corporations' commitments to already vulnerable communities within their ecosystems. This is all this equity crap. You hear Tedros and uh, Mr. Uh, World Socialist Movement, Antonio Gutierrez at the UN talking about all the time. This is the social justice aspect of the Great Reset, to which is totally a leftist phenomenon, so there's nothing capitalist about it. To comply with that agenda, governments, banks, and assets managers use the environmental, social, and governance, S or ESG, index to squeeze non-woke corporations and businesses out of the market. Ah, so these are all the sharks teaming up to squeeze out any resistance whatsoever. The ESG index is essentially a social credit score that is used to drive ownership and control of production away from the non-woke or the non-compliant. And that would be, my friends, from the individual level right up to if you run a business or you're in a media or anything. If you are basically, it's the board. Resistance is futile because the big boys in the world are going to team up and crush you into compliance. And that reminds me a lot of how those medieval systems worked. And it's modern day slavery. Don't make any mistake about it. And they, what's the slogan? You'll own nothing and be happy. There's no freedom involved here. They own everything and you rent it from them. And they're all just the stakeholders. So the government and these corporations, the government is no longer the arbiter. It's, a, it's, it's actually the legit definition of fascism on one sense because it's the merger of state and corporate power. But it's even worse than that. He goes on. One of the World Economic Forum's many powerful strategic partners, BlackRock Inc., which is the world's largest asset manager, is solidly behind the stakeholder model. So these are the guys that have like $20 trillion or whatever in assets, right? They own a piece of everything sold on the planet already. And this is what's crazy is it's just going to get worse if we keep going with this great reset. In a... 2021 letter to CEOs, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink declared that, quote, climate risk is investment risk. And the creation of sustainable index investments has enabled a massive acceleration of capital towards companies better prepared to address climate risk, end quote. In their recent book on the Great Reset, Schwab and Malier pit stakeholder capitalism against neoliberalism defining the latter, neoliberalism, as a corpus of ideas and policies favoring competition over solidarity. I want to pause on the solidarity comment here because you're hearing solidarity coming out of every mouth in the media, every celebrity, every one of these clowns, all these politicians, solidarity, solidarity, equity, renewable. Like it's all these words, these, these words. So look at favoring competition, competition. See, sorry, I got to come back for this. Got to get into the words and specifically what they mean when they use them. Competition is a scary word for people who don't, they're the people that are suffering from that anxiety of freedom. Competition is, is frightening for them. 
competition has been demonized. It, it makes them think of high school where maybe they lost a competition or something and they don't want that. They're like, it's too competitive. Oh, it's so competitive. Can we just all play just for the, we just got to play for the fun of it. We don't have to have winners. We don't need to look at your teachers in school. You're, they're sending your kids home with their report cards. There's not a single negative comment on the report card because they don't believe in losing because they're losers, <laughs> not your kids, the people that are writing this new religion. These are the little ones. These are the little beta types. And by beta and alpha, I want to make a distinction. I'm not saying this is a genetic thing. This is a, this is a choice in life. You either face the world and nature and the danger of life and the risk of life head on and you take the rain, bull by the horns and you make something of yourself and you rise as a hero and you go out into nature and you create nothing something out of or nothing out of something sorry you turn nothing into something by your creative effort and your product and your labor and you are a that's that was the ideal of western culture because that was what allowed for the concept of an individual to even exist which then endowed an individual in any society freedom and private property and the right to reap what they sow that's what they're calling competition competition there, that's a word they use in place of the word free market. Okay, just remember that. So when they say competition, that's to trigger the snowflakes to go, oh, ew, we don't want competition. Oh, let's go to solidarity. Let's band together. That's the sales pitch. But they don't understand what they're losing. They don't understand that. They don't understand that they're going to all be equal in, in poverty and misery and slavery in the end. All right. So we just got to identify those terms just as you spot them. Okay. So let's redo that. Defining the latter neoliberalism as a corpus of ideas and policies favoring competition over solidarity. So this is what they want to destroy this great reset globalists. Okay. They hate this creative destruction over government intervention and economic growth over social welfare. So they're trying to say they're demonizing competition, which means they're demonizing free markets, which they're demonizing the very pillars of Western civilization. Okay. In other words, neoliberalism, Rechtenwald is saying, refers to the free enterprise system. There you go. He said it himself. In opposing that system, stakeholder capitalism entails corporate cooperation with the state and vastly increased government intervention in the economy. That's where you're going to get your communist angle in there, okay? Another way of describing the goal of the Great Reset is, quote, capitalism with Chinese characteristics. That is a direct quote from Klaus Schwab. Okay, capitalism with Chinese characteristics. This is going to come to a point we'll get to in a minute, which is essentially a two-tiered economy with profitable monopolies and the state on top and socialism for the majority below. It's the serfdom model once again, guys. Just with a bunch of robots and AI now, and monitoring and tracking and drones. Oh, come back. So wrapping up this Rechtenwald article, he continues, just as Schwab and the WEF predicted, the COVID crisis has accelerated the Great Reset. 
And maybe they predicted it, Michael, because they planned this. I don't know. Maybe just a thought. Mon monopolistic corporations have consolidated their grip on the economy from above while socialism continues to advance for the rest of us below. Because I don't know if you've noticed, guys, but in your schools, everywhere, in the media, all the politicians, they're all advocating and actually installing socialist policies like what we're seeing here in Canada right now, like what the Dutch are seeing over there in the Netherlands and all, all of this stuff with the farming. They are going to seize the land. The corporations are the only companies now that are profitable enough to even buy homes in British Columbia. If we started the show, I think it's supposed to be British Columbia Day in Canada. Well, in British Columbia, nobody can afford to buy a house here because the inflation is so absolutely ridiculous because we are run by the NDP party, which is that's your socialists. And they spent all our money. And we also have tons of investments coming in from China to the point where they're buying up homes, double the price of asking, and then just the homes sit empty. And they're all over Vancouver. They're all over the island now driving the market up insane levels where you can now go to Vancouver, British Columbia and buy an absolute Coke shack for about $2 million. So that's socialism for everybody else where now you have no purchasing power in the market even when you are working your arse off. And the only people that can afford to buy homes for millions of dollars are foreign investors, which is a form of modern day... Um, Warfare, okay? Asset warfare is a huge component. Financial warfare, seizing assets from in foreign countries. That's a massive component. And all these policies the government's bringing in that are inflating the currency. We see what's going on with the economy. We see what's going on with the gas pumps. We're in the trial phase of the Great Reset right now. And does anybody like this? And it's not even officially installed yet? Oh, wow. We are learning a lot. So what's the, what happens is now big corporations are the only ones that can actually buy land and property. So they're just squeezing the little guy out of the market while pretending to fight for the little guy because you'll own nothing and be happy, right? So in partnership with big digital, big pharma, the mainstream media, national and international health agencies, and compliant populations, hitherto dem democratic Western states, Think especially of Australia, New Zealand, and Austria. They're all being transformed into totalitarian regimes modeled after China. China. Specifically, the communist Chinese. Shout out to all the Chinese patriots. You guys email me all the time. And I know many people over there that are trying to fight that regime. And they know exactly what's going on. And they'll be the first to tell you, this is the China virus. And... Uh, it, it, it nothing that you're being told is the truth. And uh, they were trying to protest to bring that regime down. But don't forget, uh, real quick, we'll come back in. The CCP party in China, which was the one that voted Tedros in as the head of the World Health Organization, by the way, um, they were created by these very oligarchs that we're talking about. These high-level elite, these your, these Davos people, Kissinger's, Zygmunt Brzezinski's, the CFR, the Rockefeller interests, the whole thing, these Rothschilds, all those groups, those financial assets, they went and they actually created and funded and helped prop up and do business with 
these communist Chinese who were at that time when they came in, they were still reeling from the destruction of Mao Zedong in China. And they went, well, let's create, let's do, so we did the full-on communist experiment in China. Let's do a new experiment in China. While our other experiments, like what went down in the Soviet Union and with FDR in America and with um, fascist Italy and Germany, we did those experiments. We did the thing in China. We've taken a lot of notes and we're going to mix it all up and we're going to make the new super system for, for China moving forward. They helped build that in league with some of the uh, you know nobility dragon families in China as well. And um, now China has been called by all the Western politicians the future of the world, the, 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 the future system of the world. You know, Bernie Sanders loves it. They all love it. They're like, oh, China, that's the, that's the, whole, that's the future. That, they've got it nailed. They're so efficient. Even Trudeau, it's his favorite country. I really love China because of their basic dictatorship. Let's them get shit done. So they all love China. The CFR writes papers on it. China's the future. China's the future. China makes all the shit. Even the American flags you buy and the Canadian flags you buy, you look at it, oh, made in China, right? So that's why they hated Trump so much because he was like, no, no, bring it back to America. They hate all these guys that are like, no, bring it back. Let's have a nation state. They don't like that. They want China for the world. Not the Hong Kong style, Beijing. They want communist China and they don't even like calling it communist China because like, well, it's not fully communist because there's capitalist elements. Yeah. Stakeholder capitalism. That's what it is. It's not even correct to call it communism. It's a new breed. It's a new breed. So just want to clarify that. All of our Western countries right now, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, doesn't matter, America, you are being turned into a communist Chinese style dictatorship. That is why they threw the book out when the pandemic happened, of how we would normally address viral disease or any kind of disease, trying to help it, right? Like we threw the old book out. They threw the old science out. They censored all the scientists. They censored all the journalists. They censored all the, everybody that spoke out against it. And they went, no, no, no. It's the new normal. It's the science because it's, we're going to do what China did. We're going to treat the pandemic the way China did. And they made the whole world do the China model. That was the first mock. To, and then it's, now we're going to do the economy the way China does. Now we're going to do land acquisition the way China does. Now we're going to do technology and surveillance and digital ID and biometrics and control the way China did. And a lot of us spotted it. A lot of us were like, wow, we're being turned into China right now. And everybody's like, oh, that's not stupid. It's a conspiracy. Well, racist. Xenophobic. No, it's just fucking happening. <laughs> it's like, it's what's happening. And here he is, top academic, telling you straight up that that's what the Great Reset is. They're in league. They created the, they work with these people. It's a gang. Even China is a pawn in the game, okay? But that's what they want. Stakeholder capitalism that Klaus Schwab is talking about is Chinese, is a Chinese system that the, these Western elites helped create. 
That was their experiment. That's their baby. They're putting all their chips in the basket for that. That's your new world order system. So he ends with this. But let me end on a note of hope. Because the goals of the Great Reset, and listen carefully, guys, because I agree with this. Because the goals of the Great Reset depend on the obliteration not only of free markets, but of individual liberty and free will itself, it is perhaps ironically unsustainable. You know why that's true, guys? Because that all those traits that he just listed are actually more congruent with reality, with nature, with human nature. Socialism, all this stuff brings out the worst of human nature. It's unsustainable. That's why they all fail. Yes, they cause a great deal of destruction. But all of those experiments always fail. All the totalitarian regimes of the past at one time eventually were overthrown and they failed. We're all just hoping that we can mitigate the damage. Final statement, he says, like earlier attempts at, so at totalitarianism, the Great Reset is doomed to ultimate failure. See, he's just backing me up here. That doesn't mean, however, that it won't, again, like those earlier attempts, leave a lot of destruction in its wake, which is all the more reason to oppose it now and with all your might. Well done, Mr. Rechtenwald. Thank you for writing this article. Thank you for telling people and explaining it very I think you can use, you can understand this a bit academic at times, but it, I think it will really help people understand when he starts mentioning all of this is, is a massive partnership with big digital, your digital media, your socialist media, big pharma. There's your cult of the medics. Go to cultofthemedics.com to get the full story on that one. And then mainstream media. There's your ancient meads, the communicators of the, the, the lords and the gods down to the little serfs and slaves. That's your media. They're the oracles. And then the national and international health agencies. There's your governing, the, the, the health, the governing health divisions. And they are trying to model that all after China. So what I was hoping to do, I hope I'm not running around too much here, is I'm hoping to help draw all these different pieces that are kind of confusing to people. Like, where does China fit in with these globalists? And why is it Western guys and this? And who's the real enemy? I don't understand. It's the fog of war. I'm trying to show you that George Carlin was right when he said, it's a big club and you ain't in it. The table is tilted. The game is rigged. These are the people that tilted the table. At least these are the descendants of the original guys um, who are still carrying this out. But the hope at the end of it that uh, he leaves is very simple and it's, it's short, but it's sweet. Look to history. Trust in humanity. I know that's hard to do. You know, I'm just saying in general, trust. That, how about this? If you don't do that, don't trust humanity. Trust Trust the tide of history. Trust the process of nature that evil contains within it the seeds of its own destruction. Tyranny always reaches a breaking point. Lies can't stand forever. They can't sustain themselves forever. Eventually, the truth comes out. Eventually, freedom wins because freedom is in the fiber of every cell of your being. 
That's what a human is. Even if you're going to sit there and go, I disagree. Oh, but that's freedom. You saying, I disagree with me or even with these globalists, you're exercising what I just said, which is freedom. They don't even want you to have the ability or the bandwidth or the fortitude to disagree. They want to wear you down, just like the Stanford prison experiment. Ritual degradation. Dehumanize. And then you've got them controlled. They will, they'll, they'll be, you'll, you'll, you'll demote their intelligence. If you can dehumanize and demoralize people, go look up Yuri Bezmenov, watch the interview. Um, if you can demoralize and dehumanize people and constantly keep them in a state of crisis, even if it's manufactured, you'll reduce their IQ. You'll reduce their reasoning center. You'll reduce their motivation to fight back. You'll crush their will. And then they will do whatever you want. They will be compliant. They will give you their land. They'll give you their country. They'll give you their freedom. They'll give you their wealth. If only you'll leave them alone. If only you'll give them a promised land. It doesn't even have to exist in this time, but you just keep promising it. And they'll be like, yeah, take it all. I'll wait for the utopia. Build me the utopia. Put me back in the womb. That's where I want to be. Life is too hard and challenging. But knowing that, there's the hope in that. Everything that's, uh, every part of tyranny that you study or evil or criminality that you study, you're not, you're, what you're doing is you're studying the opposite of, of what you really want, which is the good, which is freedom, which is the truth. To learn about the truth, you have to study the lie. To learn about freedom, you have to be a student of tyranny, studying tyranny and how it's risen in the past, why people keep voting for it and slobbering all over it, and why you really don't want that. You need to study the opposite. And then there's sort of like a force of nature that happens that's beyond all decision makers, all controllers, all Illuminatis, all tyrants that operates well above all. It's the process of the universe, the fabric of the universe itself that starts to come in here that brings ruin to the frauds, to the fakers, to the tyrants, to the evil, to the lies. Because that's not, that's, that's, a, that's a part of this reality that's needed to prop up and, and actually give the good what it needs to become strong enough to become the dominant force, right? But there's always a, there's always a balancing act that happens in the universe and within each one of us and within our societies and within the tides of history. So I'm really extrapolating his statement here, but basically, if, if you look at all the earlier attempts at totalitarianism, they were all doomed to failure. And so is this new world order. So is this great reset. And so all you need to do, activate your reason, listen to your intuition, start researching, get the facts, and don't stop speaking the truth. Don't stop for anyone. Find some courage. And for people that are constantly messaging me, I'm so exhausted. I'm so tired. I don't know what to do. I don't know how you keep how to keep it together. It looks hopeless. Find the strength. Find the courage. Do whatever you can. That's why that past show, I was giving you all these like very small level examples of just little things you can do to keep yourself 
energized enough and motivated enough to stay in the fight because guess what, guys? It's only about to get more intense. Not what you want to hear, but it's a fact. So start doing those mental push-ups. Start doing that spiritual work. Cleanse your own shadow. Route out the inner tyrant. Expose the inner conspiracy going on up here where you're trying to lie to yourself. And if each one of us start doing it, we won't even need everybody to wake up. In fact, totalitarian regimes, criminal syndicates, mafias, and conspiracies of the past have been toppled by like handfuls of people against huge monolithic forces. 300 Spartans, seven samurais, couple cowboys, couple renegades from the British Empire told the kings of Europe to go fuck themselves when they just wanted to raise some taxes. A few, a few good men and women. That's all we need. But good doesn't mean virtue signaling little soys. Good means strong, capable, a force to be reckoned with. A good man is a dangerous man. Not dangerous to good, not dangerous to the innocent, dangerous to tyrants, dangerous to criminals, and dangerous. You want to become John Wick? That's one thing. I'm thinking psychologically here. Truth is dangerous to the lie. Right? So I love it. Oppose this with all your might. Go out on your shield. Don't just pack it up and go, ah, I'm moving out because they don't let me travel without a arrive cam. I want to go to Mexico. No, stand and fight for your country. They don't want nation states because they don't want individuals. They don't want freedom. Freedom is a threat to them. Freedom also gives them anxiety. If you think freedom gives the cultists and the you know, the people that need the handrails of government to live their lives, if you think that freedom gives them an anxiety, ooh, you better believe that freedom gives night terrors to these tyrants. They, 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 these Longshanks of history, the Edward Longshanks and the, the tyrants of history, they all, they all, they're up at night having nightmares about Braveheart crashing through their bedroom door with a massive claymore ready to take their heads. And who knows, maybe it'll come to that. But if it won't have to come to that if we can win this by speaking the truth and by taking action in your community. They want a globalist structure run from the top down where they dictate to you like a little surf. And they are going to... Look how they're micromanaging the way you think, the way you speak, the way you act, the where you go, where you can't go, where you... They were micromanaging us, guys, down to where we were allowed to stand. You'd be in Home Depot and you'd be, st and you're, they're like, you're, you're, you're not standing on the X. And they don't even need to come down with a bunch of stormtroopers to do it. They can recruit all the people through mass, by creating mass formation psychosis, mass hypnosis. So that's why you got to keep speaking the truth because 
even those people that are stuck in that trance, eventually the trance breaks. Either they don't make it or eventually the trance breaks. It just, reality keeps banging upside the head so many times, it's just undeniable. So don't give up the fight. Don't you dare. Voltaire. Yep, it's difficult. It's difficult to free fools from the chains they revere. People that are stuck in the past, crying about past injustices without understanding that that's all of history for all peoples. Yep, welcome to earth. That's the place you live. That's the history we have. But there's also good history. There's also been amazing advancements. Humanity is a mixed bag. And so if you want to keep yourself chained to the past, then you will be perfect prey for these predators. And you will, be, you will still be a slave. And those people that are still clinging to their six masks and a jab every five minutes from Big Pharma, it's difficult to free them from the chains they revere because the chains they revere provide them with the feeling of security and the easing of anxiety, which is why the solution to that is to address the real source of your anxiety. It really isn't the pandemic. It really isn't some virus. It really isn't climate change. Those are cop-outs. They were crafted for you for the cop-out mechanism to be activated in your mind so that you don't address your own inner anxiety and the sources of where that really comes from. And then they just pile external anxiety on top of that. And then you believe that that's the source of your anxiety. And then you start hating the people that are chanting freedom because that just continues the anxiety. Meanwhile, it's you who are your own worst enemy. And that's why you're going to remain a slave. That's the game. So it's difficult to free the fools from the chains they revere. Fine. Then let them have the chains. But not everybody has to be condemned to live as a slave. I sure I'm not going to. Victor Frankl, can't recommend him enough, especially right now. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And only a man that lived through horrible traumas and, and terrible horrors could say something like, would really say that with any kind of depth to it, right? That... He, what he's referring to here is even if they are chaining you up against the fence, even if they are locking you in a dungeon, even if they are putting you in a concentration camp and trying to brainwash you to believe that freedom doesn't exist and free will is just a social construct and it's just you're just controlled by all the antecedent forces of nature. You're just a robot in a meat suit. Yet you have the choice as to whether or not to believe that to begin with. So it debunks the whole stupid argument. And he's telling you, even if you're in prison, they still can't break your free will. They still can't break your freedom. It's impossible. It's impossible. Even when they try to surgically mutilate you and turn you into a Manchurian candidate, they still can't eliminate the freedom of the human mind. They've tried it for centuries and it pisses them off. So make sure you never let your mind start to believe that your mind is not free or that you are not free. Believing that freedom doesn't exist is a belief system and you can create that reality in your life, but it doesn't make it true. 
We can control how we respond. And I'm not here to tell you how to respond right now or to what's coming. I'm going to leave that up to you. Everybody's going to have to make their choice. And that's where your freedom lies. Is, okay, this is happening. Tyranny's rising up. Oh my God. Okay. People are dropping left and right. All right. How am I going to respond? With fear and compliance? Or am I going to rise the hero and create my destiny? So there's my show, guys. There's my slides. Come into some of the comments here. <clears throat> I hope that added some value. And uh, I know I, I don't have other specific things to really tell you. Everybody's always wanting to know, what do we, what do we do? What do we do? I don't want to hear that question anymore, to be honest. First of all, there's no what we are going to do. There's what you are going to do. There's what I'm going to do. There's two different things. What we, the we, who's the we? Oh, us people being persecuted because we're championing freedom? Each one of us championing freedom is the one that has to make up our minds as to what we're going to do. I've made my decision as to what I'm going to do. And you know, it's funny, even as I'm doing this, I have tons of people from all these different activist groups and pot and shows and this and that, and they're trying to get me up in their thing and they get, get me doing what they're doing and recruit me into their solution. And I'm like, just keep, you're doing great. <laughs> what do you need me for? I'm doing what I have to do. This is what I made a pact with myself to do is this show, this work, my series, the interviews, my social media, the conversations that I have, the local work that I do, the, the work I do with my family in my community. I know what I'm doing. There's times I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but then I eventually figure it out. And each and every one of us is being called to that. You have a purpose right now. You were, if you're still alive, walking around the world right now, that means by default, you are here to do something in this time. You do have a purpose in this time. Don't let anybody tell you different. You, you, you do have a function here. You're not some meaningless speck of dust that has no purpose, unless you believe that. One person can change the world. It doesn't take a whole armada of some mob. It's, it, we start there. And then, yeah, there's all the great advice about social action and things we can do. Support the farmers. Go in your local community. Here's something you can do. Go in your local community and learn whose the farmers are. And if you live in a big city, how close is the nearest farm to you that's still operating? And then go start talking to these people. And try to find, especially those independent, those little small farms, mom and pop farms, those people are, they need your business. They're, they're every lever of government is working against them right now to shut them down. A local farm around me just had to shut down because they couldn't take it anymore. The land is now for sale. And who the hell can afford $5 million to buy a, not even a decent plot of land? It's going to be a corporation that's going to buy it. They're going to subdivide it and then make, make a bunch of condos or something build a bunch of pods with a local cricket factory like that. We have to support the local farmers. There's that's your, if you don't know what to do, there you go. Get into the local farming, talk to these people, learn from them and maybe start learning about some gardening or something, right? Um, local community stuff, uh, get into the local. If you're getting on a political level, the federal stuff, let's see how that goes. Um, 
not saying we can't make change there, but get on the local level, your local townships, right down to the town you're in, even if it's a small little town. Are there good people that understand what's really going on working to get into your mayor offices and your local townships and your councils? And then get to your provincial or state level and then work our way up. Get And then if you don't want to get in the political, there's got to be some local potluck groups or churches or community groups or homeschooling groups or uh, sport activities or meetup groups. Um, there's local protests in your area, no doubt for something going on, go out and start meeting people. Uh, that's a great way to just kind of get out there. So these are just a couple suggestions. Other than that, do your spiritual, psychological, physical work, you know, get healthy, pace yourself. Don't overwhelm yourself with the bad news. I think a lot of big things are going to come. And when I say big things, big exposures are coming big expo big revelations this is the time of revelation all right but that's not the end time that's the end of a time which signals the beginning of a new time and the revelation that's happening the reve revelation revealing that's what it is apocalypse pulling off the layer revealing it's revealing more things are going to be revealed and they're not going to be too pretty but they're necessary so that we know, oh, right, yeah. Another evil. <laughs> wow, so many. But now we know. And we know who they are. We know who the liars are. We know who the traitors are. We know who the criminals are. We know who the cowards are. You know? We know who the compliant sheep are. And I don't mean to insult anybody, but there are people who really, really do enjoy being that. So that's what they want to be. That's what they are. Don't be it. And we're going to have big revelations about the pandemic. We're going to have big revelations about this great reset. We're going to have great revelations about history, correcting the lies of history. Um, we're going to have great revelations about energy, about how um, there's no doubt amazing technologies that can be born that we're already thought of by great minds that have been forgotten about how we can manage our energy production, our agriculture, our finances. The great geniuses have already walked the earth. There are still geniuses walking it right now. There's solutions for every problem that's been created. So we're going to get more revelations on that, on that energy, free energy, whatever you want to call it. Um, you're going to have more revelations on the fraud that's gone on to allow the government and the corporations and the big syndicate to get where it is. Um, you're going to get more revelations on health and how we've been lied to about literally everything in that field. The whole medical, the whole medical field is basically just in free fall, right? And the whole scientific field is in free fall because of how betrayed people are starting to realize they are, how, how corrupt that's become. And that's not a bad thing when a corrupt thing falls on its own sword. When it gets exposed, it gives an opportunity to build it fresh, to build it better, build back better, but like the real build back better, not, not this bullshit from, from the globalists. Uh, you're going to get more revelations on the crimes against children. It's going to get nasty guys. I'm sorry. Ugh, you think you heard it. It's going to get, we're going to learn more. 
but that is necessary so we can stop it. You can't stop something you don't even know exists or won't admit it exists. Crimes against humanity. All races, colors, creeds, genders, belief systems, religions, I don't care. We're going to learn more about how we've been abused as a species and what really is running this shit. Who the real who the real dark ones are, who, what's really going on. We're going to learn more. So that when I say strap yourself in, I'm, I'm saying strap yourself in. Yeah, there's definitely the food shortages. There's definitely the energy crisis. There's definitely, um, you know, threats of war and all that stuff going around. But that's going to pale in comparison to the revelations of the truth that's going to hit people like a ton of bricks because it's going to be very real, I think. That's what I see. And that's your way, that's your great awakening. That's your moment of humanity being given a choice. Do you want a fresh start? Do you believe you're free? Do you believe there's more to life than just this materialist paradigm? Do you believe everything's a miracle or nothing's a miracle? What kind of world do you want? What kind of government do you want? What kind of economy do you want? What kind of community do you want? What kind of food do you want in your fridge? What kind of air do you want to be breathing? What kind of future do you want for your children? These are, this is what we're facing. So let's face it together as strong, empowered individuals. Let that flame of freedom burn bright. Tell the truth even when you're afraid to tell the truth. Become very educated about the facts. When they start spouting lies, when you got your friends that are all programmed by these lies, slapping, you know, CNN articles in your face or whatever talking points there, you know, know how to blow a hole right through it and never leave them with the last word. Let, let's just be the vehicle so that the truth can win in the end. All right. So that's it. All I got for you guys. I hope it helps. Thank you guys so much. Um, I'm going to be traveling a little bit. I'm going to be going, I can't leave the country, but I'm just traveling a bit within the country, taking the family on a much needed uh, getaway, um, doing some nature stuff, going to see some people uh, in some other provinces over the rest of the month. So I'll be in and out. I'll, I will be having shows. Some of them might be more like video logs or recordings or definitely uh, follow on Telegram. And that's probably the best place for now. Um, I'll have more of that. Lots of good stuff coming out of Unslave. Go to unslave.com. Um, $7 a month and it's a treasure trove of stuff you're never going to hear anywhere else. Um, Cult of the Medics, please keep helping me. As soon as I get back at the end of August, I'm going to be diving into Chapter 9 which I've called the beginning of the end. I'm really excited to put this one together. So in the fall, stay tuned for more coming for Cult of the Medics. Um, and please help me get the word out on the other episodes that are all available for free over at cultofthemedics.com. And other than that, please help share this show. And thank you guys for chilling with me. Love you lots. And I'll catch you next time. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>